life. The problem today, we're going to talk about the, the past, no past, how that our past does not define us. Now, I got a few amens out of that, but the reason I didn't get a lot of amens is because sometimes we let the past define us. And I want to talk about that this morning because I think there's, there's something that really needs to be addressed in our community, in our culture, in our nation, that our past transgressions do not have to define us. In fact, they should not define us. Jesus said that, or the Apostle Paul, he said, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus as the author and the finisher of your faith. In other words, God started us and he can finish us. But we have to submit to the process of starting and finishing and understand that our future is in much bigger hands than ours. And that I want to say something to you. I've been, I've been listening to really smart people this past week. They're all over the internet, you know that, right? <laughs> but one of the things I learned is that, and this is in my own words, I set up court inside my mind. And everybody, a lot of people, they have judges on, on TV, and you can watch them have court. I love watching court, because it's just like a box of chocolates. You just don't ever know what you're going to get. But I have court inside of my mind. When I make a decision, and believe it or not, we are always making decisions in our minds. Everybody here, we uh, like, like you ladies, like, oh, what kind of makeup should I put on? What goes with my dress? And I got to do this. Mm -mm. How's my hair? Mm -mm. You know, so, and then and us guys were like, let's go. Let's just go. But we all make decisions, right? And, and we set up court within ourselves as to what is the, what is the right thing and what is the wrong thing. And, and then we ask people, are you a believer? And then, oh, yeah, I'm a, a believer. But really, it, uh, being a believer can really be defined in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of definitions because just because someone says they're a believer doesn't mean that they're the same kind of a believer as you are because they've had court inside of their minds and they've made up their mind what a believer is. And so unless we bounce that off of the written word of God, the logos, the truth of God, we won't really completely understand what a believer is. We will define it by our own past and by our own significance and by what other people say about us. And we will be defined by our own thinking because we judged ourselves what is right and what is wrong. I'm going to tell you something. It says, as a man thinketh, as a woman thinketh, as we think in our hearts, so are we. Your thinking it's the most powerful entity that ever, that God ever gave mankind. 
the power to think and the power to make choices. Because we as individuals have to make our own choices. The old is past. The problem is the old, but the solution is Jesus. The problem of our past, you know, we can all, we all, and Jesus said that, that he would cast our transgressions in the sea of God's forgetfulness. But our problem is, my problem, they say my problem is, I'm not a very, I'm not very good at forgetting my problems or my sins and my transgressions. Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to transgressions. When, when I, and, I, and I tell God, I'm like, oh, what about this? And he's like, I don't know. I don't even remember that. I cast that as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you. Can somebody say amen? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but that's kind of... God forgets when he forgives. Somebody needs to hear that right now. You've been forgiven of something that you keep reminding God of. That's good preaching. <laughs> well, we all have to make up our mind. Are we going to crown Jesus as the king of kings and Lord of lords? Or are we going to take him back to the cross and crucify him? It says, because when we sin, this really, this is so convicting. It says, when we sin, it's as though we crucify the son of man over again. So our love for God, it's not the, 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 the beating over the head with the ball peen hammer every time you mess up. That's not God. He says, I'm going to the cross for you. And because he goes to the cross for us, our thinking is, is I'm not going to love God. I'm not going to be who God has called me to be. I'm not going to be intimidated by this world any longer, but I'm going to, my thinking is going to rise up above my circumstances. It's going to rise up above the circumstances of this world. And I'm going to allow my mind, the mind that God has transformed inside of me to make a difference in this world that we live in. Let me tell you something. I got something in me this morning. I just I made up. I made up with it. Our younger generation and the older, everybody. This COVID thing, I want to talk about it for a second. This COVID thing has brought intimidation to America. We have bought into the intimidation. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And, 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 and fear has taken a grip on our nation. Yeah. Let me tell you something. That is not for the church of the living God. Yeah. It's not for us. Yeah. Just because people are intimidated by what has happened in our nation it gives the church a chance to stand up and rise up with the gift of the truth of the word of God so that the thinking that we have can be 
assimilated in the world that is looking for a savior. They're looking for something that you and I have, something that we've been gifted with. As we walk out into this world, we can understand that our mind has been transformed by the renewing of the mind because of the logos, the word of God that has been implanted into us because we know the truth. And that's what the world is looking for. The world is intimidated by the deception of the enemy and the evil in our world. And they don't know what to do. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, praise God. We know what to do. And it's not, a, trust me, I, I, I'm not trying to be arrogant about this. It's a, it's a confident expectation. I'm not being arrogant with this. The truth of the word of God has been around forever. All we have to do is know it and buy into it and walk in it. None of that was in my sermon. <laughs> and start preaching now. I love that song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know, I know he holds my future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. <sighs> Crown him, Lord. Embrace the process of maturing beyond our old past and making all things new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 I don't know if I'm going to have any energy for the next service. <laughs> That's all right. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone includes everyone. Like your ex-wife. Your ex-husband. Your mother-in-law. Oh, man, y'all must be needing to hear this. I hear a lot of cackling going on. Therefore, if everybody say anyone, anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creature, a new creation, it says. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. The, now, the question is, the scripture begs the question, is it passed away? Are the old things, the sins of our past, the transgressions of our past, have you allowed them in your life to be passed away? Because if that's not case, the case, then have the new things really become new? If the old things still are alive, and not crucified with Christ, then have the new things really become new to us? Are we looking back too much and so much that we can't really see what's in front of us? We had a horse one time years ago. Caleb was a little boy, and we, we did what no smart parent should ever do. We bought him a two-year-old gill and a colt, and we thought, well... It was dumb. Because you don't buy a kid uh, a, a, a colt, for those of you who don't know. You buy a, a kid an old horse 
so the old horse can teach him because the young horse can't teach him because the young horse really doesn't know anything. Amen. I'm going to talk about that in a minute too. <laughs> One time this horse, and we, of course I'm training the horse. This horse, he got, he was belligerent. His name was Chocolate. And he was belligerent and sometimes he would just bow up. One time, he had enough of it, and he ran off with me in the pasture. And, and I had trained him to give me his head. So when I pull on his head, he'll come around like this. Because generally, when their head turns, their body turns. You generally go after what you're looking at. Generally. Not chocolate. He was dumber than dumb. <laughs> and I pulled him around, and yeah. So he surrendered when I asked him to pull his head around, because I was pulling pretty hard. And he pulled his head around, but he kept running this way. <laughs> I'm looking this way, but chocolate isn't looking this way. <laughs> and there's trees out in my pasture. I mean, like, big trees. And I, I could just see... Uh, us running into one of them trees, you know, like, you, that's bad. <laughs> so I gave Chocolate his head back, and I, here's what I thought. My thinking, as we're running off, I thought, well, at least he'll see that tree when he runs into it. <laughs> My point is, is that while you're going forward, and you're looking back, there's going to be a wreck. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Somebody needs to turn loose. And, and some of us are good at turning loose at some of our past. Oh, i got to come down here. I said some people are really good at turning loose at some of our past. Some of the, some of the past that we're, it's easy to forgive for, but the things that really matter to us and the things that are deep deep down in our soul relationships, sometimes we keep a hold of those things and we don't turn loose of them and we're looking back hoping that there won't be a train wreck. And then God gives you your head. He lets you turn back and let you see what you're running into. And at some point in time, we have to make up our mind. Are we going to surrender to what we actually know is the truth? Or are we going to continue and let the wreck happen? Thank God for insurance. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. we've all had wrecks. In fact, he said that. He said, all have sinned and come short uh, that that really that really convicts me that part where it says we've come short of the glory of god what that means is is that we've not achieved the expectations that god has for us because our ways are not his ways neither are his ways our ways but our ways are so much higher his ways excuse me are so much higher than ours and the reason for that is, is because he created each one of us and he knows us down to our core. He knows everything about us. 
You can't tell God to sit in the truck while you go do something that's stupid. Not if you invited him into your heart. He's going to go with you. And he might be in your heart kind of tapping his toe. I can't wait till this gets over. <laughs> okay, I'll get back to my notes. Gracious. Y'all might need to come to the next service too. <laughs> Revelation 21, 5, it says, He who is was he who was seated on the throne said, this is talking about Jesus, I am making everything new. Everybody say everything. Amen. And this is, this, is, this is a projection into the future. This is a projection. It's in the book of Revelation. And it's about how God is going to do away and there'll be a come, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And it says all the former things will have passed away. Why do the things of this earth, why are they going to pass away? Because they have all been tainted by sin just like you and I have been tainted by sin. And God wants to make what was that word? Everything? Everything new, including us. How would you like it if you had a new body and you were never tempted by the stupid devil and you could just walk through life and everything would be like no sickness, no sorrow, no, no saying goodbye to loved ones, but all would be perfectly at peace forevermore. He said, I'm going to make everything new. In other words, all of our past transgressions are forgiven and we can experience just a little bit of heaven right here on earth when we experience the fact that God gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's a Russian comedian. His name is uh, Yokov Smirnov. And he immigrated to the United States and he said that the thing that he loved the most about America was the grocery stores. He said he'd never forget walking down one aisle and seeing powdered milk. Just add water. And you get milk. And then he walked a little bit further and it says, powdered orange juice. Just add water and you get orange juice. He walked a little bit further and it says, baby powder. <laughs> what a country. Don't you wish you could change things that easily? I mean, it's just like, just, just out of water. Well, I'm here to tell you that new life is possible when you drink from the springs of living water. And you'll never thirst again because he will satisfy your thirst forevermore. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I got to run through this real quick. How can you get new life today and be redeemed from the past of yesterday? How can I see real change in my life for the better? How can my life be turned around? The first thing that it is, that it starts when we recognize that Christ 
is so much more than just a baby in a manger. Perception is critical, and in your mind, and in my mind, we have to decide who Jesus is. When we see Jesus, who do we see? How do we perceive the past? How we perceive the past will ultimately dictate our future. Do we learn from our past and move on, or do we stay in our past and not ever move past our past? Look beyond the cradle to the Christ, God's anointed king of the universe. Our ultimate, our limitations of Jesus will inevitably and ultimately dictate the limitations of ourselves. How you, listen, how you perceive Jesus will always enhance and build and give your life, give yourself life and peace and joy and contentment and happiness with your godliness or if you perceive him as just a good man, there will be no fulfillment inside of you because the transformation will never happen until you see Jesus as the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the living God who, was, who lived and died and lived again and set up his kingdom for us so that we could live with him eternally. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, it says, the apostle Paul, it says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In other words, we don't see Jesus as just a man in the flesh. The people that walked on the face of this earth, they didn't understand who Jesus was, but time demands a verdict in my mind that Jesus was the Christ because you look at you, you look at the, the kingdoms of men, you look at God's church because he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We're going to go forward with the church of the living God. Why? Because he is the living God. Amen. In other words, don't just see Jesus as a flesh and blood human being. See him as, a God, as God in the flesh who came to change our world. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, reconciling himself to the world. In other words, when you balance your checkbook, you reconcile your checkbook. You reconcile your finances, and you're like, uh, you're either messing it up or it's okay. Jesus made it Okay. Because he paid a debt that we couldn't pay. We owed a debt that we couldn't pay. And we had to have somebody to wash our sins, someone to pay a debt that we couldn't pay. And if you think that you're good enough to pay your own debt, that you can get good enough in and of yourself and you do enough works so that you can make it to heaven, you don't understand who Jesus is. I just challenge you. You get closer to Jesus and you'll realize, I had to realize what a wretched, like that song, saved a wretch like me. I, they used to offend me till I really figured out who I was. If you're still offended by that song that says saved a wretch like me, we got altars down here for you. You'll fit fine. It'll be, it'll be okay. John Ortberg in his book, Who Is This Man, says, uh, we take for granted the ways our world has been shaped by him. 
For example, the ancient world children were routinely left to die of exposure in the ancient world, particularly if they were girls. Parents didn't name their children until the eighth day or so because until then they might decide to kill their babies. Especially if it was deformed or otherwise unwanted, this custom changed because a group of people remembered that they were followers of a man who said, let the little children come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of heaven. That's my Jesus. This is a word America desperately needs. Jesus never held an office. He never led an, led an army. And yet the movement he started would eventually mean that the end of emperor worship. Again, that's something I think America needs to think about. Who are we going to worship? That our supplier isn't our government. Our supplier really is God. His words would later be cited in documents like the Magna Carta. They began a tradition of common law that the laws of this land were set up by the king of kings, by the Lord of lords. And when in our minds we understand where this truth came from and the blessings that came to America because God has blessed America, we will understand that the truth is what is going, has, it, is, it has been We've been blessed by the truth and we will continue to be blessed by the truth if we continue to embrace the truth. And when we turn loose of the truth as a nation, the nation that forgets God will surely die. His words, uh, are, uh, uh, they begin traditional common law and limited, limited government. This sounds great to me and undermine the power of the state rather than reinforce it as other religions in the empire had done. Of the people, for the people, by the people. Why? Because people are God's greatest treasure. And when people are honored in a government, God will honor the government. But when the government gets bigger than the people, and we begin to serve the empirical government, then the people will not be blessed because all you have to do is find out what's going on in Russia today, what's going on in China today. If you want to be intimidated, manipulated, and controlled, we can just set up a society where we let everybody else make all the decisions. But thank God, God has blessed America because America has blessed its people, and people are God's greatest treasure, and America needs to bless the people. And when the people are blessed, and we got to rise up and vote, and when we rise up and vote and we are blessed because we speak the truth of the word of God the church should be the, the best voters in the world we should be the ones that stand up the most and show up the most when it comes to the polls because we have the truth of the word of God in us and we can vote people in that have that truth in them but if we are silent if we are silent somebody else is going to run our lives for us. And I'm not going to stand up for that. Johnny, I'm not ready for you yet, buddy. <laughs> we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their 
Not by the Big Bang Theory. We didn't used to be little amoebas swimming in the sea and then be a little monkey hanging from the tree and wind up being a doctor with a PhD. That's not how it all happened. Endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That's who my Jesus is. He never wrote a book. Jesus never wrote a book. Yet his call to love God with all one's mind would lead to a community with high reverence for learning. Even when those in so-called dark ages nearly eradicated classical education, that little community of Christ followers would pre preserve what was left of education. In time, the movement Jesus started would give rise to libraries, guilds of learning, and many of our major universities. This is what the Jesus, this is what the Jesus that we serve did. The Roman Empire in which Jesus was born could be splendid, but also cruel, especially in the malformed, the diseased, and the enslaved. But in context, Jesus had said, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. An idea slowly emerged that the suffering of every single individual human being matters and that those who can help ought to do so. Hospitals, orphanages, relief efforts, and all kinds of emerged emerge from this movement. And even today, they often carry names that remind us of him and his teachings like the Good Samaritan, Good Shepherd. Hospitals established from different religions. Jesus consistently championed the excluded. His inclusion of women led to a community in which women flocked in disproportionate numbers. Slaves up to a third of the ancient population might wander into a church fellowship and have a slave owner wash their feet rather than beat them. One ancient text instructed bishops not to interrupt worship to greet wealthy attenders, but to sit on the floor to welcome the poor. <laughs> that's contrast, but that's my Jesus. Humility, which was scorned in the ancient world, became enshrined in a cross and was eventually championed as a virtue. Humility. His historian John Dickinson wrote, it is likely that any of us would aspire to this virtue were it not for the historical impact of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. Furthermore, the ancient world virtue meant rewarding your friends and punishing your enemies. Sounds pretty logical to those who don't know Jesus. An alternative idea came from the one from Galilee, love your enemies and seek rec reconciliation. Thus, forgiveness moved from being viewed as a weakness to being regarded as an act of moral beauty. Even in death, Jesus' influence, Jesus's influence is hard to escape. The practice of burial in graveyards and cemeteries was taken from his followers. It expressed hope of the resurrection. Death did not end Jesus' influence. In many ways, it just started it. One of the other things that we must understand is that Christ died in our place. 
Christ died for you. He died for me. I deserved death, and Jesus gave me life. We must take it personal. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. Even though Jesus was without sin, our sins were applied to his account so God could apply righteousness to our account. But why did Jesus have to die? I, I want to get in, I'm going to get into this and I'm going I'm to close up here. Lord, help me. You, you got to hear this. We, got a, we had a guy come over here where we live out on 1486 and, and he ran into our fence and he knocked a pole down, uh, an internet pole, and, and it just tore everything up. Well, I don't even know where that guy is at now. But at some time, some point in time, I had to forgive that guy for doing that because he wasn't able to pay for the fence, for the transgression, for the mess up. Just, listen to me, just forgiving him wasn't enough. My neighbor's got the same fence messed up. <laughs> but forgiving him not enough. Somebody's got to put the fence up. Some guy's got to fix the fence and put the fence back up the way it was in order for there to be justification. Y'all remember, I, I got to say this, the housing crisis of 2008, shoddy bank practices, fat cat executive, corporate corruption, threw a sledgehammer into the global economy. However, the government deemed certain banks too big to fail. Don't you love that term? So it forgave their debts, covering the most expensive bailout in human history. It was $700 billion. as up until the COVID, and the COVID cost $5 trillion. Even though the banking industry had caused massive damage, the debt was forgiven. But the, listen, the debt didn't go away. Bank of America owed a loan, owed people $20 billion dollars Do you know what happened to the debt? Someone else covered it. Well, in this case, it was you. <laughs> Let me stay here. At the cross, Jesus was eating the cost of our sin. You see, if there's a transgression, someone's still got to eat the cost. There's still somebody not, just forgiveness isn't enough. Somebody's got to pay for it. Instead of you and me paying for our own sins, which is impossible, a debt we could never pay, Jesus paid those sins. It was the most expensive bailout in human history. Our perception of the past will ultimately dictate our future success. The third thing, first we regard Christ as more than a baby in a manger, regard that Christ died in our place. And the third and last thing is that to 
to trust him to change your life personally. It's not enough just for, just to hang out with Christians. You know, just because I hang out with my horses doesn't mean I'm a horse. And uh, I team rope, y'all know that. And in the team roping world, they have a handicap system. Like I said earlier, I think, I think we could all kind of line up out there in the handicapped parking spots. But in the handicap system, we are handicapped according to how good we rope or how, if you want to put it in the negative context, how bad we rope. Either way, we are handicapped. And the handicap system is from a two up to a 10. The 10 being the very best headers and healers in the world, and twos being the, well, there you go. Not so good. Here about two or three years, three or four years ago, I wrote with a friend of mine and we roped really good and they changed my handicap number because I mean I was roping really good and the reason they changed my number is because I won the roping but I want to say one good performance does not define you Now, they, they, they let it define me, but just because I won that roping doesn't mean that I rope any different than I did before I went to that roping. And they're big on raising your number if you have one good performance, but they're not good on lowering your number if you had a lot of bad performances. It's flawed. But I also know people now, when I get ready to go to Las Vegas, I'll go, Lord willing, go to Las Vegas in December and rope there at the World Series, the, the finals at the World Series. Before I go, I'm going to go get some lessons. Do you think I'm going to go to a number two roper to get lessons? So I'm talking to somebody here. Some of y'all just, you get on, well, what do you think? I don't know, what do you think? Y'all come on with me. No, I'm gonna go to a 10. I'm gonna go to a nine or a 10 and I'm gonna get some good lessons from somebody who already knows how to do it and somebody that does it better than I do. I'm not intimidated by saying I need some help here. Let me tell you this, in the, in the in this world that we live in, we're gonna say that Jesus is a 10. The best you could be. And uh, if you, you, you can give yourself whatever number you want. Okay, let's just play along, okay? You just be whatever number you think you are right now. My goal is to get better. I want to be a better roper, and my motivation 
is to be a better roper so I can win more, not so much so I can get my number raised. <laughs> I don't really care what people think about me, how good I rope. I just want to win more. <laughs> I enjoy it. I love it. I love to rope. <clears throat> I, I really honestly feel kind of like that's kind of that that's part of who God made me to be. People ask me, they go, well, what do you do? I say, well, I preach and I rope. That's about it. Yeah. I'm a preacher and a roper. So my challenge to you today is that you can never get better as long as you're looking back and you operate in fear that you're going to get your number raised or you're going, God's going to ask you to do more than you're really capable of doing because you're intimidated by who the world says you are and you hunker down in the corner and let fear run your life instead of jumping out there in the middle thing of things and really making a difference in people's lives and, and fulfilling God's plan that he created you for. Because everybody has, everybody really does something really, really good. Everybody. And my challenge to you is, is the, the, the you, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. I got to keep, three words, you be you. Stop trying to be like somebody else. My goodness, if there was ever an insult to your creator, it's that when you try to be like somebody else. You were created to be you. Embrace it. Be grateful for it. Thank God for it. And rise up above, above what everybody else is saying about you in this world. And you be who God made you to be. And the only way that you'll know who that is is when you really know Jesus. I'm done. That's it. Lord bless your people. Help us, oh God. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I got one question for you. When a friend of mine uh, was talking about evangelists one time, and this evangelist, he always kept telling people, you must be born again. And he was like, and, and he would say it so much that somebody came up to him one time and he says, how come you keep saying you must be born again? And the evangelist answered this way. He said, because you must be born again. And that's what Jesus told the, 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 the rich young ruler. He said, if you want to, or he told Nicodemus, he said, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be born again. What that means is not just be born of the flesh, but there must be a spiritual birth that happens when you accept Christ as your personal Savior. If you've never done that, or maybe if you have, you just haven't been living for him, and you need to get your heart right, and you want to accept Christ as your personal Savior, raise your hand up high. We want to put a Bible in it. Preacher, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I want to make him the Lord of my life. Slip your hand up high. Anybody. Preacher, that's me. Anybody. Yep, thank you. We'll put your Bible. Leave your hand up till we get a Bible. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Preacher, that's me. Would you, if you look up at, ma'am, raise your, would you mind come up and let me pray with you? Can I pray with you? Yeah, come on. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. It's a beautiful day.
Yeah, thank you. Oh, this is your day. We had church for you today. Tell me your name. Chelsea. Chelsea, thank you for coming. Can I pray with you? Let's all help Chelsea. Just repeat after me. Let me pray with you, okay? Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. From this day forward, I give my life to you. Help me to read my Bible, to pray, show up for church, and get baptized. I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Josie, I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. Do me a favor and go visit this lady for just a second. Stand with me, please. Y'all got to be really nice to people in the parking lot when you leave. Be patient. I mean, it's going to really, from this moment on, you're not just going to try to not let the past define you. You're not going to let it define you. Raise your hand. Preacher, that's me. I'm not going to let it define me anymore. Let me pray for you. Lord, we lift your church up to you. Minister, Lord, to us. Lord, we surrender to you. Everybody say, our surrender. We surrender our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and our souls to you. Thank you, Jesus, for being Jesus. We are so grateful that you live with us. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. Hey, listen, we got a prayer team. If you need special prayer, God bless y'all. We love you so much.